remain standing, please, as Aidan comes this morning to read to us as we continue in the Gospel of John. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb where the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw. This is the word of the Lord from John 20, 1 through 8. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, I have to tell you here on this Easter Sunday that we have a new member in our family. I want you to meet Scout. I know, isn't that such a great picture of me? I know that's what you're thinking. I'm not exactly sure what we were thinking, bringing a new puppy into the house the week of Easter, but that's what we did, and Scout has already become a beloved member of our family. As you know, bringing a new puppy into the home changes routines and schedules. We're not sleeping as well. Things are getting chewed on. We're trying to develop all kinds of new routines, but she's a sweet little blue healer pup. She's already doing very well and showing off her smarts, and it's been a joy for us to have Scout in the home. Now, I have to give you just a little bit of a backstory on this, and many of the dads in this room can relate. I've been hearing for months now from my kids, we want a new puppy. And I was trying to hold this off. But I began to realize I was going to lose this fight when my wife started asking for a new puppy. And so I realized, well, if I'm going to lose this anyway, I might as well get involved and make sure we find the right puppy to come into our home. But many of you dads can also relate. What was supposed to be a puppy for the children and my wife has become my dog already. And I love this sweet little girl I know that it's Easter week, but I have no regrets, and I'm thankful that she's in our family. Puppies are not the only thing that can change a household around and turn a life upside down. That can happen with a new puppy. It can also happen with a new baby. It can happen when house guests come to stay for a while. It can happen anytime there's a change in schedule. Something forces our routine to be different. Our lives can also be turned upside down when someone gets sick. And it can also happen when someone dies. And what we see here in John chapter 20 is that for each of the followers of Christ, the women and the men, their lives have been turned upside down. Their schedules have changed. All of their plans and priorities have had to be put on hold. And yet, as we said last Sunday, as we've been going through this gospel, and we were in chapter 19... We realize, because we know the end of the story, that light is beginning to break through. In order for us to celebrate the feast that is Easter Sunday, 
we first have to go through the darkness of Good Friday. And many of us on Good Friday, we observed that day by taking the Lord's Supper. And though the Lord's Supper is like a feast for us, it's something we observe and we celebrate what Christ has done, those symbols are very visible and tangible reminders that for us to have the life that only Christ can give cost him his body and his blood. In order for us to experience the joy of the light breaking through on Easter Sunday, we have to walk the long, dark journey to the cross and endure Good Friday. But I have good news for us this morning. It's no longer Good Friday. It's not Holy Saturday. Yes, Jesus had been in the tomb for a couple of days, but this, my friends, is Easter Sunday. And today we celebrate. Today is a day of hope. Because we know now what Peter and John and Mary and the others did not know for certain those dark days when Jesus was in the grave. We know that he has risen, that death did not hold him, that sin and death have no victory over us because he defeated them. And today we feast because in his name we have life. Today is Easter Sunday. This message is about hope. And it's a reminder of what John has been telling us all along in this gospel. That those who believe in Jesus Christ as Messiah and as Lord, those who believe have life in his name. And so today we are also reminded through this message of hope that the tomb is still empty. And that's what we see here at the beginning of this chapter. The tomb is empty, and I say to you, it is still empty. The first person to see this, we shouldn't be surprised, was Mary Magdalene. Where are the other disciples? Where are the men? Well, with the exception of John, they've gone into hiding. They're sitting around, as men often do, planning, trying to talk about what should we do next. But Mary Magdalene, all along, has been faithfully going to the tomb and standing vigil. She's the one who was boldly seated at the foot of the cross while most of the others had run away. She stood courageously honoring her Lord. Mary, you might remember, was a woman out of whom Jesus cast seven demons. With all that Mary Magdalene had endured in her life, she had very little pretense left. She wasn't worried about what anyone else thought except the Lord himself. And here she was while everyone else had scattered, coming to the tomb each day to honor her Lord. And as she came to the tomb, she was also prepared, she and some of the other women, that if, if the tomb was to open, they would go in and they would anoint Jesus' body with the customary spices. But on this day, when Mary arrived to the tomb, again, we shouldn't be surprised she's there, but a surprise awaited because the stone, the huge, heavy stone that had been placed in front of the entrance had been rolled away, and here was the tomb of Christ standing, gaping wide open. So Mary, though it was not proper for a woman to run in the ancient world, went running back to Peter and John and the other disciples to tell them what she had seen. She says, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. 
So Peter and John, even though, again, it wasn't proper, they also take off running. And verse 4 has to be one of John's favorite verses in his gospel and one of Peter's least favorite verses in his gospel. When John makes sure that we know that this morning race to the tomb, like two boys running out to the playground, was a race that he won. And he wrote it down for us to remember forever and probably for Peter to remember forever that though Peter left first, John won the race. And when they arrived, though John arrived first, he said, I, I looked in, I saw the strips of linen, but I just couldn't go in yet. And then John gets to the heart of the matter. When Peter arrived, as again, we shouldn't be surprised, he's a little bit bolder. And when Peter goes in, he sees and he believes. The heart of the matter here, I, I think John wants us to, to know and to, to believe, to understand. That faith is what, what occurred. In this moment for Peter and John, they believed. And though they had the privilege of seeing with their own eyes something that we don't get to do, we haven't seen the empty tomb with our own eyes, they have but the belief they have is not just because they've seen it. They've seen it with the eyes of their heart. And for we who are the disciples today, we would say faith is seeing and believing, but it starts first with the eyes of our heart. Though we might not completely understand, though we might not be able to perfectly explain it as articulately as many others have, we believe it, because faith is seeing and believing with the eyes of our heart first. When Peter arrived, he went in and he noted that the strips of linen were there, but also the cloth which had been wrapped around Jesus' head was laying there separately. The reason John wants us to know this is because what they beheld, it looked as if the body of Jesus had simply vaporized. The way John Stott said it, the strips of linen hadn't been touched, folded, or manipulated by any human being. They were like a discarded chrysalis from which the butterfly had emerged. They look and they saw no, nobody has removed this body. Nobody has touched the clothing, the linen, the wrapping they're laying separately. But where has the body of Jesus gone? Verse 8, John writing in the first person, though he never names himself, he always calls himself the other disciple, the disciple that Jesus loved. He says, then after Peter, I did go inside. And when I went inside, I saw and I believed. John saw with his physical eyes, but he believed with the eyes of his heart. He believed in faith. It's as if John is telling us, looking back, though I didn't fully understand what was happening in the moment, though I should have known that this was going to occur because I had read the scriptures and because Jesus had continually been telling us, it was at this moment that I, John, joined the many others I've told you about in this gospel. The many other men and women who believed that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and the Son of God. And when I saw, I believed. When I think about the disciples throughout the Gospels, I see their relationship to Jesus sort of like sons to a father. 
That's really the relationship was meant to be between a rabbi and his students. And so I can relate a little bit, as many of you can, to the frustration that Jesus must have felt at times as a parent, as a father, when his sons, when his disciples just didn't seem to get it. My children will agree with you that as a father, most of the time, if something really big and bad has happened, I stay pretty calm, cool, and collected. Even if one of my children has done something that you might say, you know, that's a little bit bigger offense than average. Most of the time, as a dad, I handle that pretty well. Again, I stay pretty cool, calm, and collected. When I lose my mind is when my children do something or don't do something that I have literally told them a thousand times, do it or don't do it this way. And when I say a thousand times, I am not using hyperbole. I'm not saying, you know, it feels like I've said that a thousand times. I've been a parent for almost 18 years now. And there are some things that I know I have literally said at least a thousand times. And I lose my mind when those little things don't go right. Jesus, like a father to his disciples, continually displays so much patience with them. Think about the stories you read about Jesus and his disciples what is the thing the question he asks them more often than anything else do you still not understand jesus constantly asks them do you still not understand with all i've told you with everything you've seen that you would be blessed to be a part of the generation in which the messiah appears but not only that to be called out and to become his personal disciples his followers his friends yet you still do not understand but even still jesus is patient and he's risen from the dead and john tells us there in verses 9 and 10 we we still didn't understand though i saw and believed i still didn't understand jesus continues to teach them he continues to be patient with them like a loving father and over the next several days, after he's risen from the dead, he appears to them, both to the men and to the women, and he continues to help them understand, much like the Holy Spirit still does for us today. If you look further in this chapter, starting in verse 11, the first person who sees Jesus risen from the dead, again, we ought not be surprised, it's Mary Magdalene. Because Peter and John have gone back to the place they're staying, but Mary is still standing vigil at the tomb. This time she's weeping. She's been there for days, but now something is new. It's altogether different. An angel appears to Mary, and when we put all the Gospels together, the angels explain to her what has happened, but even Mary Magdalene, with all of her faith and commitment to Christ, doesn't yet fully understand. As the angel departs, Mary hears a rustling behind her. She turns and she sees a man, but originally she assumes he must be the gardener. And if he is in fact the gardener, Mary thinks maybe he can tell me where the body of Jesus is. And so she says, tell me, sir, do you know where they've taken the body of my Lord? But this is not the gardener who's speaking to Mary. This is the risen Christ. And at the moment she calls him the gardener as if he's the gardener he simply responds by saying her name 
And when Mary hears the voice of Jesus say, Mary, when she hears her name come from the lips of her Lord and Savior, she immediately knows he's not the, not the gardener. This is Jesus. And she says to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And then, listen, don't miss this. Jesus sent her back after teaching her for a moment. He sent her back to the male disciples so that it's Mary Magdalene who becomes the first person to announce he has risen from the dead. It's Mary Magdalene, not Peter or John, who is the very first person who is sent out to say, I have seen the Lord. But Jesus continues to appear, not only to individuals, but to the community. He appears to the disciples, although Thomas is not there, and he comes straight through a locked door. What a mystery is the resurrection body of Jesus. He comes into the room where the disciples are through a locked door. Thomas is not there, and he says to them, Peace be with you. In a very similar way as he said to Mary, Jesus says, As the Father has sent me, I send you. If you are my disciple, whether you are Mary, Peter, John, a man or a woman, if you truly are my followers, you are sent people. And you are sent out with the same message that Mary proclaimed, that Peter and John later proclaimed. We have seen the Lord. But I love also how personal Jesus is. Thomas wasn't there. And Thomas, of course, goes down in history as the greatest of all doubters. He says, even though all of the other disciples say we have seen the Lord, he says, unless I see the, the, the nail holes in his hand and, and the hole in his side where the spear was thrust, I will not believe you're telling the truth. And so again, Jesus appears to the disciples, coming through the door without opening it. But this time, Thomas is there. Jesus goes directly to Thomas himself and says, Peace be with you. And then he says, Thomas, reach out. Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas says, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. But listen, because this is for us. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Because faith, again, is not just seeing with our eyes, which Peter and John and Mary got to experience, but, but for us, faith is seeing with the eyes of our heart first. And Jesus says, all along down the line, blessed will be those who don't see, yet they still believe i'm also so thankful that what jesus did for us here is he made it simple when these first followers go out and tell people whether it's mary peter and john they simply say we have seen the lord what if those of us who are our disciples now what if that was simply where we started i think we're always so worried that we're going to be put in a position where we have to explain something we're not sure we can explain or teach, like, a, like if we're sharing with somebody, a group of people is going to gather around and listen, and all of a sudden, we have to be perfect. What if we simply began as followers of Jesus today by telling people, I have seen the Lord. Listen, 
This is my story. I have seen the Lord. This is what he has done for me. And as the disciples continue to go forward, the men and the women, as we read on into the book of Acts, the main message they share with others, we have seen the Lord. He is risen from the dead. Brothers and sisters in Christ, what if it were that simple? If all we were called to do, as Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, I send you, to simply tell others, we have seen the Lord. And to also tell them the way John finishes this chapter. Because Christ has risen from the dead, we are also brought from death into life. How long during this series have we been talking about the last part of this chapter? That John says, if you read the other Gospels, you can read Matthew, you can read Mark and Luke, and you'll find that indeed Jesus performed many other signs in our presence. They're not recorded in this book, but you can read about them in other places. John said, I wrote these down in exactly this order. I told these stories to you in exactly this way so that you also might join me and those many others that I've told you who said, I believe. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. I know without question that there are many people in this room who would say, I've experienced that life in his name. I know that it's not just life after death, it's the life that Christ gives now, that only he can give. And I am living in the life that only comes in his name. What if those of us, again, who believe that would simply tell others, I've seen the Lord, this is what he's done for me. But in a moment, we're going to have an opportunity for those who have never experienced this life. You've never believed. You've never said, I believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, as Messiah, so that you also might have life in his name. Here in just a few minutes, you'll have an opportunity to do that. But maybe some of you would say, I have done that. I have had that experience. But today, I need that in a fresh way. Let me simply say it again. Because Christ has risen from the dead we also are brought from death to life. And all who believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of God, they have life in his name. Amen? Amen. This morning, this is a message of good news. It's a message of hope. There's a story that I want to share of another woman named Mary Magdalene. This woman was born in 1723, several centuries later, she was a Swiss woman who grew up as a, a faithful follower of Jesus. As a teenager, she committed her life that she wanted to serve the Lord, and she wanted to marry a man who would become a pastor. So Maria Magdalena Langhans indeed did that. She married a Swiss man who became a pastor. And we can only imagine their joy that not long after they were married, they found out they were expecting their first child. But not only were they expecting their first child, but Maria Magdalena Langhans was told her due date was going to be right around Easter. Wouldn't that just be perfect? 
that a woman named after Mary Magdalene would give birth on Easter Sunday. Well, that's exactly what happened. On Easter Sunday, Maria Magdalena Langhans went into labor, but tragically, as happened to many women in those days, the birth became complicated, and eventually both Maria and her baby died during childbirth on Easter. As tragic as the, the end to that story is, what happened next is what Maria is remembered for most. Her husband, that young Swiss pastor, commissioned a piece of art to be done as her tombstone. And this tombstone still stands today. You can visit it in Switzerland, and it is an incredible message of the hope that we have in Christ. Not only the hope that Maria had, named after Mary Magdalene herself, but the hope that we are promised because Christ has risen from the dead. Sort of hard to see, but I'll give you a couple of images so you can see it clearly. This huge slab of marble stone contains the body of mother and, and child who died in childbirth, but you see that the artist rendered it so that it is breaking, breaking open. Death has not held them. Maria and her child will rise again because Jesus Christ for them is the resurrection and the life. You look a little bit closer and you can see them coming out of, of, of the stone and at the bottom is death because Jesus through rising from the dead through his resurrection has conquered not only sin but also death and because he has conquered death we share in his victory Maria Magdalena Langhans is not remembered for death but for victory over death and I love these words that are written on the stone Lord here I am and the child so you have given me hark the trumpet calls it resounds through the grave awake my troubled child and cast off your shell cry out to your savior before him flees death and time and in an eternal salvation all suffering disappears maybe it was hard for you to see this other monument to maria and her child really shows the picture because he has risen from the dead even the most tragic death the most overwhelming suffering the darkest seasons of our lives and of this generation the plainest and the subtlest of evils all of those things are gathered up with sin and death and they are destroyed and because of what christ has done because he is risen there is victory even in the face of the worst defeat. He has broken through every obstacle, even those that feel as solid as marble stone. Because he is risen, today we too can experience the new life that only he can give. I want you to listen to these words these are the words that Paul wrote to the Corinthians in chapter 15. But rather than putting them on the screen, I want you to just hear them. If Christ has not risen, he said, we who have given our entire lives for him are to be pitied most of all. But if Christ has risen, we will be raised with him. And we too will receive a new birth 
and a new life. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. These things were written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. We know now what Peter and John and Mary did not know during the dark days when Jesus' body was in the grave. We know the end of the story. And we know that these things have been written so that in believing, we would have life in his name. The invitation that I introduced a moment ago, I'm going to give to you officially now. This is an opportunity for you. If you've never experienced the life that only Christ can give, to come to Christ, to believe upon his name for your salvation, and to know that that life through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit is flowing within you. Maybe you need to do that for the first time, whether you're here or watching online. Or maybe you need to renew that commitment to Jesus as Lord. Maybe just in a fresh way today, you need to experience the life that only he can give. All of this that Christ has done is for our good and for the good of his kingdom. He did not die for us and rise again so that we could join some exclusive club and become members. He didn't do this so we could check off some religious box and say, well, we got that out of the way. Jesus Christ died and rose again so that we might have life in his name. The good news that Christ has risen from the dead is that all who believe can have life in his name, not just after death, but now. And only in Christ is that life possible.